So why is a farmer coming to talk to you about sacraments? <laughs> Honest to God, I'm not a theologian. It's not what I do. I keep bees, I chase cows, and I also corral junior monks. Uh, I'm in charge of the juniors. It's kind of fun they have to call me master. <laughs> I like that just a little bit. It's kind of fun. So what am I doing here? Well, the short answer, you ran out of money. You see, <laughs> when you have two good speakers, you know, well, you got to pay for those people. They're good. They're the ringers. They're the national speakers, right? I mean, my goodness, we've got Deacon Harold, like a, a servant warrior, right? You know, how many countries? Yeah, yeah. And then she whose feast day we celebrate today, top 10, top six, me, I'm the guy in Shawnee. You ran out of budget. That's what happens. That's what happens. Now, I recognize that this is right after lunch. This is the sleepy time of day. And in more civilized cultures, this would be nap time. <laughs> Italy shuts down. You try trying to find a church at this time. No father is having a siesta, and you should be too. These are the rules, however, we're deviating that from today. So if the spirit moves you and you find yourself conked out, just don't drool on your neighbor. That'd be very awkward. So let's just avoid that. Just try to keep it quiet. And so long as your snoring's not too loud, I'll try to talk a little quieter for you. Okay. So let's start with a prayer. Uh, St. Benedict tells his monks to begin and to conclude all things with prayer because we're not very good at stuff and we need God's help to do better. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, you are holy. Make us more like you. Help us to seek your face in all things, to glorify you in all things, to make you our very lifeblood and the breath we draw, that all our life may be you, in you, with you, for you, through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about saints, sacraments, and holiness in general today. It's a lot of ground to cover. And you've already heard some wonderful things that I'm going to do my best to try to draw in as well as we wrap up before going into breakout sessions. Now occasionally, actually frequently, I will probably ask you questions. Help me, okay? Um, if I ask you questions, please don't give me the total deer in the headlights look staring contest, quiet game. I'm a monk, I will win, okay? <laughs> Monks are quiet game champions of the world. And I can wait you out, <laughs> I can wait you out. We can pass an hour here, that's no problem. That is absolutely no problem. Um, but we'll see how that goes, we'll see how that goes. The title of this talk, Perfecting Holiness. And that's not really a play on words. It's really what the sacraments are meant to do. They are to perfect the holiness of God within us. They affect it. They make it present. They make it more and more and more so. Perfecting holiness. It's what the Christian life is about. Getting better and better and better at serving God. We monastic types take a vow of conversatio morum, sometimes translated ongoing conversion, and we'll revisit that later along with some other monastic vows that help us to encounter that holiness of God 
and the presence of the sacraments in our life. I want to begin with the story, because that's always a fun way to start. A little touchstone. I was a college student. I know, it's hard to imagine. And I was a student at St. Gregory's, now defunct, may it rest in peace. And I was having trouble sleeping one night. Didn't know why. Just stirring, wrestling, rustling in my bed. Could not sleep. Something kept stirring me. To get off my tukas, that's Yiddish for, you know, that. And to get up and go for a walk. But I didn't want to. I kept fighting this, this urge, this desire. And I can't explain to you how I knew. But I knew that this wasn't just restlessness from pepperoni and jalapeno pizza. This was something else. And the more that it stirred in me, the more I tried to fight it. And yet, the more I fought it, I kept saying, God, if this is you, overwhelm me. So I kept fighting, but I kept praying this kind of openness until finally I was overwhelmed. So I got out of my bed and I went for a little walk. And that spirit that previously had been agitating me was now almost tugging at me. This way. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, mind you. And now a quick sidebar. I'm a convert. Uh, kind of. Kind of. I was baptized Catholic when I was itty bitty baby. A little past circumcision age, but not by much. And then my parents got divorced, and I was raised not Catholic. In fact, I was raised very, very anti-Catholic, which is how I found my way into the church. That's another story for another time. But I still, even though I was Catholic, had a few holdups. Things that I believed, things that I would swear fealty, loyalty, take an oath, say a creed about, but things that really just didn't do it for me, you know? Like, it's not my thing, I know it's real, it's out there, and you kids can have it, but not for me. Saints, you go ahead. I'm going to be right over here. All I need is my Jesus, which is true, but a little help is always nice. I wasn't too keen on the saints. I loved Our Lady, but at a distance. And the Eucharist, that was powerful. But Eucharistic adoration, I thought, was weird. Just weird. I mean, yeah, that's him, but why? Like, kneel in front and stare. It's just kind of odd. I mean, when's the last time you just went and looked at somebody like... <laughs> and that's supposed to make you have more of an encounter? What is that? It was weird, okay? It was weird. So it's two in the morning, and I make a beeline to the doors of the monastery. Don't know what was going on. I just know that whatever it was that was keeping me from sleeping brought me to the doors of the monastery. Now it's probably like 2.30 because um, I had wrestled and tossed in bed and all of that. So let's say 2.30 to give it some. I got to the doors. And that same sensation, whether it was God or jalapenos, urged me to knock at the door. Am I having a psychotic episode? What's going on? And I'd get almost there, and then not. And almost there, and not. And then finally, in that same kind of prayer, God, if this is you, overwhelm me. Because if not, I'm being really stupid right now. 
And then I got almost there, and I knocked. The door immediately opened. Father Philip had Alzheimer's, pretty advanced. Couldn't remember yesterday, but he was a heck of a guy. And I do believe truly that God moved in that man in ways that few of us can fathom. I heard stories of when he had all of his wits about him, and I encountered him after, and God worked in this man. But in his state at 2.30 in the morning, he just smiles at me and says, Welcome, brother. Will you be joining us in the choir? I said, no, Father, I just came here to pray. And he smirked at me, not smile. Old man smirked at me, and he was like 93. He smirked at me and said, right this way, we all just come here to pray. Right this way. Old boy led me down to the tabernacle. I am not a fan of Eucharistic adoration at this time in my life. But that's where he led me. And what are you going to say to that creepy old monk that's up at 2.30 in the morning, you know? <laughs> like, I don't know this guy yet. He could knife me for all I know. <laughs> yes, Father. And I knelt down to pray. And I had one of the most intense experiences of prayer I've ever had in my life. I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm crying thinking about it, remembering it. It was just overwhelming. And then all of a sudden, this intense moment, it was like an oven timer went off. Ding! You're done. <laughs> and, and just the flow stopped, and it was just, well, okay then. So I stood up, and I genuflected, and I sidestepped into a pew. the abbot knocking on the choir stall to begin vigils at 6 a.m. From 2.30 to 6. I had no concept of time. I was completely overwhelmed by this incredible encounter with God that I cannot deny. People ask me if I have doubts sometimes. How can I? I've encountered God. We all do. We all do. And you can't doubt what you know. Maybe we doubt some of our understanding, but not the existence. That's a different thing. But that night, I had three different modes of encountering the living God. First was that action that I believe was the Holy Spirit, not the jalapenos and pepperoni, <laughs> that stirred, drove, persisted, and with which I very reluctantly went along with. I had the encounter with the Eucharist, and from that night on, I became a believer in Eucharistic adoration because I felt him there that night. Not every time since, but that night there was no doubt. Here he is, right here, and here I am in his presence. I encountered him in the sacrament, and I encountered him in Father Philip. Now, I, I can't say Father Philip's a saint, 
I will say I wish I would have saved some fingernails or hair clippings because I think he's probably on his way if he's not there yet. I do. I think he's pretty close. But I encountered that presence of God in him. Very real. Very powerful. And now here comes the heresy. I warned His Excellency last night that any heresy I commit in this talk is purely incidental. Uh, it is not intentional. I believe what the church believes. But, uh, you know, pioneers catch the arrows and stuff. I encountered God in three different ways and yet was the same mark, that same sensation, that same encounter, that same feeling in all three. In that first stirring, in that encounter with this human being, and in this sacrament. Somehow that oneness of God's operation, it's like you could see a signature. This is me. This is me working. This is me working too. It was a powerful encounter. We encounter God in the sacraments, and we've heard these definitions that they're outward signs, that they are inward grace, or effective signs instituted by Christ that impart grace. We've heard them called mysteries, not in the sense of secrets that are kept, but things that are revealed. Uh, and this is true of the definition of the word mystery, right? You watch a mystery movie or read a mystery book, you figure it out at the end, right? All is revealed. All is revealed. And we can talk about the sacraments, which are seven, but then also this whole sacramental existence that is a part of our Catholic faith. This manifestation of God, this encounter with the divine in very tangible, very real, very touchable ways. The Eucharist is sacrament. But kneeling, simply kneeling, is sacramental. We're offering a prayer. We're making an act of worship using our physical bodies to glorify God. Humbling ourselves at the very level of our soul. I mean, like, how do you bend your soul before God? I don't know, but I can bend my body. Watch this. Did it, right? And that helps us, that forms us, that drives us. When we make the sign of the cross... That's a renewal of the covenant. That stuff should blow our doors off. I think we talked about this the last time I was up here at a sidebar. When you make the sign of the cross, right, which we often do sloppily, it's a sacramental sign. I mean, we throw it around like it's nothing. Um, some other cultures add a little bit, you know. Um, you can throw in some extra crosses and triple, you know, triple it. Um, or if you're a seminarian, <laughs> got to pick on my buddies, sometimes you've really got to do it big to make sure God sees, you know, like, You lucky God, you, you've got me. It's a phase. We work through it. It's a phase. But often we just throw it aside. So think about this for a moment. You're walking into a church. You're getting ready for sacrament, right? You're getting ready for it. You're going for Eucharist. This is the big one. This is the source and summit, the thing to which all things flow and from which all things flow. This is the big game. This is the big game. So you go in, you're getting ready for the big one, right? Hand in the holy water, at least post-COVID. You got the water back? You got the water back? Bless God. Bless God. We need that sign. We need that sign. And it's not transmitted that way anyway. Get over it. So <laughs> you dip your hand in the holy water. That's not to make you want to go to the bathroom. 
Although if any of you fall asleep in this talk, I might try it. No. <laughs> you dip your head in the water, recalling baptism. That sign by which you are baptized into the death of Christ. And then you make the cross. And when you look at a crucifix whose body is on the cross, Jesus. And when you make the sign of the cross on yourself whose body is on the cross, oh, it's you. As you have done for me, I will do for you. All of you, for all of me. All of me, for all of you. A reciprocal action. Our blessing is in the cross of Christ. Our life is that life of the cross. It's a powerful sign. The sign of the cross. St. Benedict kicked so much demon butt with just the sign of the cross. Have you ever read his story? My man Benny? Exorcist extraordinaire. Um, he's, he's, he's renowned as an exorcist. It's what he's known for. He's kicking demon butt all over the place. He never uses words. Makes for poor film. There's no, you know, like sweaty brow exorcism. Come out, demon, in the name of Christ. He's just like, you have no power and Jesus does. Bye-bye. <laughs> and they're gone. Sign of the cross. It's powerful, powerful powerful stuff. In our bodies, we glorify God, and we encounter him in ways that we normally could not. Sacramentals. The catechism tells us that apart from the seven sacraments, we can think of the church as a kind of sacrament. A sacrament as an encounter, as a representation, a manifestation of Christ Jesus, who is the church's head, and the spirit unites that head with the body. Some theologians refer to the church as the fundamental sacrament from which the other seven flow. Christ can be referred to as the first sacrament, or the primordial sacrament, or if you want to use the cool German, the Ursacrament. That's just kind of fun. Because Jesus is himself the manifestation of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's living sacrament. The saints, in a very real way, embody this in a unique way that inspires us all. They, they stand out against the backdrop of the rest of us kind of wishy-washy, mediocre Christians and there's something about that encounter with them that just makes you want to be better, that just makes you want to believe. Father Philip, for example, just being near that man made me feel holier. I wanted to be in his presence. There was something about him that just made me want to sit by him. So when I'm discerning the monk life, and I'm in seminary for the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City, and I came back for a vocations visit. His Alzheimer's is super advanced now. Uh, he's 90, uh, 97, I think. No, 93. He's 93. And he can't remember 10 minutes ago. He's still very sweet. But, you know, like, that's a lovely clock you have. That's a lovely clock you have. This is his state now, right? But he's still just happy and loving, and you ask him for a blessing. And if he gets kind of in that, you know, sometimes they get in that state where they can get kind of frustrated, you just ask him for a blessing, and he's in instant priest mode. Oh, yes, have a blessing. 
Like that was still him at his depth and at his core. So here he is sitting in the corner and he saw me walk in from my vocation visit. He gave me that same damn smirk. <laughs> he knew more than he was letting on. He knew more than he was letting on. And he's not the only person that I've had that kind of encounter with. Sometimes you just meet someone and there's something about them you can't put a finger on it, but you can just sense God's hand upon that person. And it is an incredibly powerful, powerful witness. St. Paul tells us that we all have our gifts from God, right? There are those who are great speakers. There are those who are great teachers. There are those who are administrators. There are those who can sing, and if you can, you better help your parishes, because sometimes that music is awful, and God needs to be glorified. <laughs> My mom's got a beautiful voice, and, um, and she does. She sings beautifully. She's a convert now, too. Welcome to the team. My whole family's paping like popcorn. It's fun. Every couple of years we get a new one. Grandma's next on the list. Yeah. So she's complaining about how bad the music is at her parish. Don't worry, she's not in this diocese. Um, and she's like, I, I just want to say something to the priest. What should I do? I say, Mom, why don't you sing? But I can't. Oh, but you can. Put up or shut up. God gave you a gift. Either use it or quit whining. God builds up his church by giving the gifts to the church, right? God gives us gifts of encouragement, an often overlooked gift in the life of the church. Maybe you're not the best speaker. Maybe you're not the best administrator. Maybe you can't even bake anything for the sale. I can't. But you can encourage those who do. You can be grateful for those gifts. What was Mary's greatest ministry after her great fiat? I mean, that's pretty huge. Don't get me wrong. Biggest ministry, greatest service to the church that our blessed mother performed in her life. What was it? She gave Jesus the kick and the tush at the wedding, right? It's time, son. Get out there. He didn't want to. Mama said, do it. That's gentle encouragement from a mother. We need encouraging mothers and brothers and fathers and sisters and all of these people in our lives to build up the church. There are many great gifts, but the greatest gift that we have that we can witness to build up this church of ours it's holiness. It's holiness. Because it doesn't matter how well you speak. If you've not got it, those words are going to ring absolutely empty. You can teach it all day. Your theology can be perfect. But if you do not have the light of life within you, they will remain in darkness. So how do we bring this about? Because somehow the saints manage to pull off what we fail to do, right? Like, you take guys like St. Jean-Marie Vianney, one of my favorites. They built a railroad to this guy. That's holiness. The line for confession was so great all day long, right? Hours and hours and hours in the confessional. I'm pretty proud. I, I had one John Vianney moment. I was at one of those homeschool conferences in Dallas, and they asked if I could hear confessions for an hour. I said, sure, 12 hours later. That day was over and I got to crawl back in the next day. Back to back, all day. I'm like, all right, Jean-Marie, pray for us. 
They brought me sandwich. They brought me water. I was getting cramps. <laughs> it was wearing out. It was incredible. It was incredible. And that was this man's life. They built a railroad to him. You got guys like St. Bernard. Their whole family decides to monkify when he monkifies. St. Francis changing the whole church. The saints do powerful, powerful things. And that's for all of us, too. So what is holiness? Holiness doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean that. Holiness doesn't mean sinless. That's a different word. When you're looking up holiness and you're going Old Testament, and I'm an Old Testament kind of guy. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. Love it. Love me some Old Testament. Holiness, right? You look up what is described as holy in the Hebrew or the Greek. And I'm going to give you the Hebrew because it sounds cooler. Like, hagios is nice, but kadosh, that's where the love is right there. It's in that kadosh. So what's kadosh? Is a prophet kadosh? Nope. Not really. God. God is holy. God is holy. God is kadosh. You know what else is kadosh? The place where God lives at the moment. The tabernacle is called holy because God dwells in the tabernacle. And when they're prancing through the desert, you got the holy thing there. The Ark of the Covenant is the Aron HaKodesh. It's, it's of the Holy One. It's called holy because of the one who dwells there. Ultimately, the temple in Jerusalem is called holy. Mount Zion is called the Holy Mountain. Not because that mountain is sinless. Not because that mountain is perfect. In fact, that mountain is pretty pathetic. It is. Have you seen it? Anybody seen it? Seen the mountain? It's little. It's not a mountain. It's like a hill of rock. It's a big rock. And so when the Psalms talk about Mount Zion becoming the tallest of mountains, that's going to take a lot. <laughs> it's going to take a lot. It's not an impressive mountain. But that mountain, that's the mountain. That's the holy mountain. Because that is the mountain where God dwells. Holiness is simply this. Where God dwells. We call the saints, well, saints. Which means holy. The holy ones. Because they lived their lives in such a way that they were filled with God. They manifested that divine holiness while on earth. And now they bask in that divine holiness in heaven. They're the holy ones. They're the saints. They're our role models. They're the heroes. They're the ones that make us feel like wimps. You know what St. Paul calls us? The saints. That's right. You're looking at us. You, I mean, look around, look to your left, look to your right. May not be St. Monica, might not be St. Augustine, but that's a saint beside you. How's that going to go and be the case? How is it that we look in the mirror and think, here is a saint? Well, I didn't say we were perfect saints. I didn't say we were the best at it, but that's what we are. We are the holy ones of God. And St. Paul begins almost every letter of his with that address. At some point, to the holy ones of Corinth or Ephesus or wherever. To the holy ones. 
Greet the holy ones with a holy kiss. Truly, you are now one of the holy ones, no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are the holy ones. He tells us how we are endowed with every grace and with every blessing under heaven. And then he goes on to tell us we need to be doing something about that. That's pretty much every letter of St. Paul. Congratulations, you passed St. Paul class. That's what it is. This is who you are. Live up to it. Live up to it. So how is it that we are holy? Well, we start with baptism. What does baptism do? What's it do? You people catechize. Come on now. What's baptism do? Wash away sins. Lame. What else does it do? Participating in the family of God because now we are adopted sons and daughters. We are getting somewhere. We got adoption going on. What else is happening? Holy Spirit is now active in our lives. We have now entered into what did the deacon tell us? A covenant. A covenant. Fun story. Old Testament time. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy ends where? We're Old Testament. We don't have baptism yet, but we're going to get there real quick. We are going to get there real quick. Deuteronomy is Moses' last speech, okay? The book of Deuteronomy, it's Moses' final hurrah. It's one big homily. So before you complain about your priests giving long homilies again, read Deuteronomy and hush. <laughs> He's like, I'm dying. Here's an address, but I'm still alive in round two, right? I mean, he's just going and going for pages. Just shut up and die, holy man. But he won't, you know, he won't. But he dies on the mountain while the Israelites are still the other side of the River Jordan. That land on the other side is God's promise. That's the land of promise and blessing. That's the place where God said he would lead them. That's the fulfillment. That's where they are going to become a holy people sacred to the Lord. Here it comes, and they've been in training for 40 years in the desert because their ancestors were horrible at it. So here they come. But it stops at the river. You don't hear about the claiming of that promise to get you a little Joshua in your life. That's when they start coming in claiming the promise, but it stops at the River Jordan. And guess where the Gospel of Mark kicks off? At the River Jordan. It's not that he didn't know about the nativity. It's like, that's boring. Let's get to baptism. Who cares about some wise fools? No, we need to get down to some sanctification and jump right to the baptism. Because baptism is the entrance into the covenant. Baptism is the fulfillment of the promise. Baptism is that relationship where he will be our God and we will be his people. Yes, it's a forgiveness of sins, but that's the most boring part. It establishes a new and abiding relationship. And so it begins our sacramental life and has impact on us even now. Those one-time sacraments that we often think they've done something in the past, no, they do something in the now. Who you are at the fiber of your being was changed that day, and that impacts who you are right now. 
It continues. You are now a child of the promise. You are now an open pathway for God's presence. And the spirit, which is meant to guide us all, is offered to you. Offered to you. You can bat it away. You can bat him away. Ignore him. For a time. For a time. Those other one-time sacraments intensify that first one. And so our confirmation is not one and done. It strengthens and intensifies and prepares us for ministry, and we will talk about that in a little sidebar session. So I won't waste time on it now. Holy orders changes the very being and nature of a priest, a deacon, establishing a new purpose to their life. You know what doesn't do that? Monastic profession. How lame is that? Ordination is a sacrament. Marriage is a sacrament. You want to be a monk or a nun, guess what? That's just simple old baptism you're living out. We got the short end of the stick. You know, I've actually debated it for a while. It was almost the eighth sacrament. And yet, seven's a cool number, you know, but eight, cool number, eight beatitudes. Why not eight sacraments? Consecration could have become one. Religious consecration, but no. Because the church decided that what we do is just what baptized people are supposed to do which is one heck of a challenge. <laughs> if a consecrated religious who makes their whole life focused on God, who tries to order everything unto that glory of God and making of themselves a complete and perfect offering to the best of their ability every day of their life, that's your baptismal call. That's not just for religious. That's for all y'all. All y'all. Welcome to holiness and God's indwelling. Repeatable sacraments, so here's a problem. We know that these sacraments affect grace in us, right? We're baptized and we can testify that this change actually happens. How do we live it? How do we live it? Normally, when you do something multiple times, you get better at it, right? You practice something, you train, you get better at it. So why was your last Eucharist not the best Eucharist of your life. If every time we train, we get better, we practice, we hone our skills, then we should be going in like Eli Ninja Warriors now. We should be so aware of that presence of God before us that that last Eucharist we had last time, man, that's nothing compared to this Eucharist. This is the best Eucharist. Because we're more open to it. We've been transformed by all of those other Eucharists. So why is it not? Why is it not? Why is it that we go in and the first thing we think about is when we're going to get out? Why that baby's crying? Why that guy smells like cheese? That's what's on our brain. You should try being by monks in a choir stall. It's worse. It's much worse. Why is it not the best Eucharist? Because we do believe that the more we encounter God, the more that we are able to encounter God. It grows in us. It grows in each time we become better and better. So heaven, for example, sidebar, and then we'll go back to Eucharist. St. Therese of Lisieux, when she was a little girl, she wondered about great saints and little saints. And you probably know the story, right? And the sister explains, well, some are thimbles and some are cups. 
All that matters is that you are full. Beautiful. Beautiful. God's grace is enough for whatever we got going on. His grace is enough. And I don't have to be that guy over there. I got to be who God has called me to be to the best of my ability and his grace. Full. But the fun thing is that when you're a thimble and you get filled with the grace of God, you eventually grow to a cup and then to a bucket and then to a bathtub. And this morning I had to use a bucket to fill my bathtub because there was no hot water. And I was very sad. But the ice bucket became my friend. And I started with the cup and then to the bucket. And then I thought, all right, St. Therese, you're making the show today. <laughs> but we grow more and more and more. We're not thimbles and cups. We're like water balloons that can't burst. We just get bigger and bigger and bigger so that we can contain more God than we did before. It's an increasing encounter. The more his holiness is established within us, the more that we are free to respond to that operation of grace. It grows and grows and grows and grows, and we never, ever pop. And so it is in heaven. God is infinite, and we're always taking more and more and more and more of him. So if every Eucharist is an encounter, how do we not encounter more? Part of the problem is the quality of the encounter. It's not that God's not there. We know that he is, right? Every time there's a mass, bread and wine are going to turn into body and blood. It doesn't matter how boring that holy man is, Jesus Christ is going to make an appearance. We know this to be the truth. And so the church tells us that though the sacraments are affected, by the nature of who God is and not by the ministry of the priest that, nevertheless, the fruits of the sacraments also depend on the disposition of the one who receives them. That's our problem. And that's why it's not the best Eucharist ever. Because we've had the Eucharist before. We think we've already consumed all that he has to offer. It's just another one of the same not a deepening and moving beyond. Your next Eucharist can be your best Eucharist ever. So how do you do this? First, I'm going to turn this on and I want to ask you some questions. We got juice, we got juice. This is awesome. We are now mobile. Monks are supposed to stay rooted. We vow stability. I am now a gyrovag, the most detestable kind of monk. If you read the rule, that's really funny. So we go to Eucharist, right? We're at the Mass. We know what's happening. We're catechists. We understand the rules. We know what's going on. What are the barriers that prevent us from having that meaningful, fruitful encounter with who and what we know to be there? If you're loud enough, you can shout it out, or I can bring it to you with the microphone. What are the barriers? both practical and spiritual. What are the barriers? Give me a hand and I'll call on you. That way you don't talk over it, but if you can belt it, belt it. What do you got? Can you belt it? Sin. That is a barrier. That's a barrier. We get stuck in the mud, right? We fall. We fail. And a number of things happen. Number one, let's talk plumbing for a moment. Imagine that you're a pipe. You're a pipe. And you are meant to be a conduit through which the glory of God flows. Full blast unto the world. 
But sin is like that gunk, you know, it's like the hairball that clunks in. And you got to put in a little drain where sometimes you've got to get the snake and get that out of there so that the grace can flow. Unclog the lines. Any of you mechanics? Any mechanics in the room? No mechanics. We're all going to die. <laughs> this is the problem I've got in the monastery. Everybody wants to be a theologian. A scripture scholar. I want a plumber, an electrician, and an HVAC guy. That's my holy trinity of vocations recruitment. That's who I want. Other barriers. Other barriers. Thinking of other things. God is present. We know this. But if I look this away and I'm totally ignoring you, it's just awkward. If you're trying to talk to somebody and they're on their little gizmo. My brother is this tall and outweighs me by about 40 pounds of pure muscle. I done almost whooped him when at a dinner he was on his phone. <laughs> you are with family, boy. You better straighten up and fly right. Distraction. Distraction is horrific. How do we overcome distraction? Practical tactical. Number one, you pregame. You pregame. If you want to be more focused at Mass, you've got to be focused before Mass. It starts when you wake up in the morning. Oh crud, it's Sunday. I can't sleep in. You've already started the wrong way. Nobody wants to wake up in the morning. Well, we all want to wake up eventually, you know, we don't want to die. But... And sometimes you say, I would rather die and just lay here. Please don't make me get up. But we start then when we wake up. If your attitude is already such that I don't want to do this today, immediately correct it. And say a simple prayer, something short. You are God and I am not. Make me more like you. Jesus, help me. That's a good one. And maybe if you've got a bad back, bad knees, you're praying it extra, Jesus, help me, because i got to get out of bed. Jesus, help me. But change your disposition already in the morning. Don't let that be a fright. When you get in your car, even if you've got, like, all kinds of kids you're trying to corral, and I know it's different. Like, it's easy for a monk to say, well, get there 15 minutes early and pray before you pray, which you should. But I know when you've got all the little, you know, rugrats and stuff, that it's hard. But you can even make the act of getting your children ready an act of prayer, if you're mindful of it. If instead of, Johnny, I said, get in here and you get your breakfast. <laughs> if instead it's, I am making breakfast for Johnny to prepare Johnny so that Johnny's not hungry when the time comes so that he can more adequately receive the glory of God at Mass. You have just done a service to the living God. It changes your attitude. It changes your attitude. When you get in the car, what do you listen to? You know what you should listen to? Shut up. You should listen to shut up. It's powerful. 15 minutes of shut up, just quiet. Quiet. Maybe classical, probably not. Just quiet. It'll freak them out. Who's got the furthest drive? Who drives more than 15 minutes to Mass in here? Who drives more than 20 minutes? More than 30. Okay, so maybe there's like the last 15 minutes of the drive going silence. That's a, that's a bit long. 
I used to have about a half an hour. Um, I'm from western Oklahoma. There's one parish in the county, so we had a, a hike to get there. It's about 40, 45 minutes. That's okay. It was a cool parish. Loved it very much. Started the car. If you start in the car, if you start at home, then the car, and you're mindful that when you walk in, you are crossing the threshold in the sanctuary of God. And you are mindful that when you put your hands in that holy water, you're invoking your baptism. And you are mindful of who you put on the cross. You will be mindful of the offering of yourself at Mass. And you're going to get better and better and better the more mindful you are. So now let's say you've done all that. You're at Mass and you're focused and your game is on, but you're getting distracted. What's the new distraction? Throw me a loophole. Throw me, throw me a curveball here. What's the distraction? What's the new data input? What's the sensory overload? What's that? Cell phone goes off. Yeah. Jesus calling back to the mass, right? <laughs> Something that seriously helps. Close your eyes for just a second. Whatever it is, whatever it is, close your eyes for a second. God is here. I am here. That's simple. You're not thinking about the cell phone anymore. You're past it. You simply remember where you are. I said I was going to talk about more vows, and this is that vow of stability. Monastics don't take the normal vows. We take much cooler vows because we predate those other vows. And one of those is stability. The idea is that God is not beyond the rainbow. God is right here. God is right now. And if I want to be holy, I need to be in that presence of God. What do you have to do to enter the presence of God? What's the great trick? How do you do it? How do you pull it off? Prayer. Simply being mindful. God is already there. You could not hide from him if you wanted to. He's there. We just ignore him. All you got to do is stop and be present to him who is present to you. And you just got holier because you've had that encounter with the living God. Distractions come, but we can easily maintain our focus by constantly returning unabashedly to him. And it requires persistence because it's easy. Like we come to these things, right? And we get stirred up. We get fire in our bellies and we're ready to go out there and win one for the almighty for a week, maybe two, Three, if you are strong. And then we kind of get back into the rut. Being a Christian requires perseverance, stability, endurance, not fleeing from the fight. Oklahoma State Capitol has a dome now, right? We've got a dome. Everybody else had a dome. We had to have a dome. <laughs> you paid taxes for that. I didn't. <laughs> and on the top, we have... A Native American with a spear through his pant leg, symbolizing what? That he will not flee from the fight. Here I stand rooted. We may be overwhelmed, so be it, I'm not fleeing. That's our tenacity in prayer. That's like on top of our state capitol. That symbol is a powerful one for prayer. We stay rooted for the glory of God, and we don't shy away from the fight. We are stable 
in this battle, I oftentimes describe monastic life as a steel cage fight with ourselves. We can't escape. We are locked in that monastery and we can't run away when it gets tough. We can't run the TV or internet or friends or whatever distractions. We are stuck in it, which teaches us perseverance and recollection. And that's not just for us, that's for you too. Another monastic element that I want to drive home is the idea of this conversatio morum, which I mentioned at the very beginning of the talk. Conversatio morum, this conversion unto the monastic way of life. But the church said the monastic way of life is nothing but baptism. So this is for you too, right? This is for you too. The idea is this. And if you hear somebody else that's holier than I am, they would probably tell you something better. But for me, it's these things. Number one, it means that every day, I have to strive to do better than I did the day before. There's no such thing as good enough. There's no such thing as, I've had this Eucharist before. It's just another round. It's just another time to pray vigils, lauds, sext, known, vespers, compline, another round. Every day I have to strive. We are never complete. We are never holy enough. We are saints, but we are still saints in becoming what God has meant for us to be. And it's not easy. And we road rash hard and often. See your confessor for details. At least once a month. Minimum, and I'm not joking. I go every week, but my confessor lives next door. So I admit I do have ease of access there. Every morning, Friday, Father Paul Time for my weekly checkup. Come on in. His door is always open. He's expecting me. Confession, it helps. So every day we strive. We're never done. We're never complete. But that also gives us a bit of hope. It gives us hope because that also means that however I failed yesterday, that's not what defines me today. This is a new start. We go to confession, we clean out the pipes, we're open to God's grace again, and we get up and we walk again. And we'll get knocked down again, but we rise right up again, over and over and over. Every time making a little bit further before we fail. Every time standing a little taller by God's grace. And whatever monkey it is on our back, whatever sin that keeps trapping us in the mud, we get freer and freer and freer, or guess what, if we don't. What if, what if you have some demon that your whole life you have struggled against and you just can't seem to shake it? No matter how hard you try, you're faithful to Mass, you keep trucking in, you keep pursuing the sacraments, you profess who God is, and yet whatever this is, it just won't let you go. How do you think that affects the people around you? that you fail so readily despite living this life, it's inspiring as hell. The saints, the perfect ones, are powerful models. Those who struggle daily and keep fighting and never surrender, the one who gets knocked down regularly but keeps getting up for another round, that's inspiring. That opens hearts. That breaks hearts. 
so that God's grace can seep in to their brokenness and they can find the strength that he's given you. That brokenness can save souls. That brokenness is actually holiness because the God in you is greater than that sin that tries to keep you down. Ongoing conversion means I can always do better and my story is never complete. Now we are at time and I need to practice my own divine shut up. But I wanna leave you with one quick wrap up and then a little quote from my man, Benny. The truth is this, when we talk about sacraments in the lives of the saints, we're not talking about the glorious ones in heaven. We're talking about you and me, buddy. It's us. And those sacraments are encounters with the divine that we receive in those seven and yet in other ways as well. And the more that we become conformed unto that living God, the more that we manifest that holiness through endurance, through perseverance in prayer, through being stable in the fight, the more that God comes to dwell in us, the more we become that manifestation of that type of sacrament that the church is, that the Holy Spirit unites with the head and so transforms the world. This process is far from easy, and we are far from complete. St. Benedict acknowledges this fact when he's talking to his baby monks. It's in his prologue for those who are just starting out on the way. He tells them that they should not be daunted at the outset. He says, do not be daunted immediately by fear and run away from the road that leads to salvation. It is bound to be narrow at the outset. But as we progress in this way of life and in faith, we shall run on the path of God's commandments, our hearts overflowing with the inexpressible delight of love. Right now we are saints who weeble and wobble and who fall down, and we will be saints who rise and walk again. And if we rise every time we fall, we will be saints who run and saints who draw other saints to the glory of God. God bless you all, and I hope you have a fruitful conference. Let us give glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Bless you all. This has been a production from the Communications Office from the Diocese of Tulsa in Eastern Oklahoma. Be sure to check out all of our other podcasts at dioceseoftulsa.org slash podcasts. Thank you so much and have a great day.